0: The text that we're going to be jumping into in just a moment is Exodus chapter 21, and in praying about this sermon and this text, and also just thinking of the events that have happened over the last week in combination with the months of coronavirus, uh, I would say that really, for me personally, in the last three or four or five days, I've been more... Um, I guess I would say upset. I would say uh, broken. Uh, Like some of you, I've watched some of the events that have unfolded because of the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. And uh, just a very, some of the pictures of the protesters that are going on in Minnesota and other major cities in Des Moines. Um, Just to see people with fear and. Broken hearts and then at the same time, their, their faces are covered in masks because of the fear of illness. You, you just begin to realize and, and maybe feel the weight more so, that this is a fallen world, that this, this world is broken. There's broken relationships. There is racism, there is classism. There are people every day that live with different amount of fear, whether it's for their physical health or for uh, their own protection. And safety, and where this we're moving in the the book of Exodus is seeing the kind of community, the kind of society that God would want to make. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, just personally, I was reflecting on a, a, an encounter that happened when I was a freshman in college. I arrived at Iowa State. University, and I uh, was going to pledge to be in a fraternity. And uh, within the first day, I met a man by the name of Abubakar Kamara. And my first impression of meeting a very dark-skinned man with a very Muslim name, I was intimidated. Um, there was some fear Now, as it turns out, Abubakar Kamara was an extremely soft-spoken poet whose entire family had converted to Christianity many years before. But in my own journey, in that moment, I realized that there was a, a racism in my own heart. Because fear is a form of racism. That based on the judging of a person's skin, I was scared or intimidated my first reaction wasn't love, it wasn't respect, it wasn't giving this person the same kind of dignity that I would have given a guy named Wes Smith with red hair. It's called prejudging or a prejudice. And each of us, when we're, we're looking at being neighbors to people in our city and in our neighborhoods, we have unconscious attitudes, we have conscious actions and what God is seeking for his people is that he wants to remake us so that in our subconscious level or in our heart of hearts there is love and then what flows out of that would also be love if you turn back in your bibles to exodus chapter 20 verse 2 that's when the the on the fronting of the 10 commandments God is explaining to Israel, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before God gives a single command for the Israelite people, he reminds them, You are a bought people. They were bought by a Passover lamb. And being bought by the lamb and now being brought out by the hand of God, he is going to lay down rules for community and society so that, that those, these commands for Israel would to, to make them a light to the Gentiles. That is, they were supposed to be a different community, a different country, that when people would look in and they'd say, why would you do that? They were supposed to say, we were slaves in Egypt, but God has set us free. And we start thinking about those who profess to be followers of Jesus. We have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus' blood, and we have been, been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, and we're brought into the kingdom of the Son, whom God loves. And we are supposed to be, uh, out now that we've been redeemed, we are supposed to be a redemptive community, a different kind of community. Jesus says we're supposed to be a city on a hill, light, salt, salt that preserves stops decay. You know every time someone is running for election, they talk about when my administration comes into power, we're going to we're going to clean things up. So whether it was, you know, Barack Obama's, you know, campaign was hope, Donald Trump's was make America great again, everybody says they're going to clean out the swamp, they're going to restore order. What's going on in where we are in Scripture is Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, is king over people. And now that he is king over people, he is wanting to uh, create a new society, a new world. Uh, Let me pray, and then let's begin to look at the kind of world that God was trying to, to make through Israel. It was a broken and fallen world then, and in the midst of that broken and fallen world, he wanted to create a new society, a new kind of people. There's things for us to learn for our lives from this text. Let me pray. Father, um, Lord, we know that this world is, is not the way it was meant to be. You created the world to be beautiful, for there to be flourishing, to be rich human relationships, to be connected intimately with God, and Out of that connection with God would flow all other things, and um, we're at different places uh, in our own journey of where we are, of what we struggle with, whether it's classism, racism, fear, anger. And so, God, I just pray that you would work in different people's hearts in different ways today, but in a way that we would all honor the Lord Jesus Christ, in a way that we would reflect him and his values in our homes, among our neighbors, out in work, and out to the nations. We ask this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, something unique about me that you might not know is I've actually only lived two months of my entire life by myself. I have always lived with people. In my home of origin, there, you know, we had a, a family of six. Uh, Then I went to college, I lived in a fraternity with 40 to 50 of my closest and smelliest brothers. I had two brief weeks, Oh, then I went back home for a year, then I had two brief weeks in the apartment by myself, and then pretty soon this bride decided to stick around and she hasn't left since. Each of those environments, each of those communities, there were rules, right, And and what what God has done in this point in biblical history is he has brought the Israelite community out of slavery into Egypt, and now he is rebuilding community. And in this community, there are rules. And we begin to see some of these rules played out now in chapter 21 and following. And uh, if you were to say that there are these rules or these platforms of God's administration What's at the top is this, is that neighbor love is paramount. This is a rule for God's people that will shape how they treat one another. And I want you to see that at the beginning of these rules, it says that neighbor love will protect the economically vulnerable. Let me read verses 1 through 11 and then jump down and include verse 16 says, these are the laws you are to set before them. So this is God speaking through Moses. Verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. If he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. And if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Verse 16 says Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Neighbor love protects the economically vulnerable. Now I'm guessing that some of you, when you when I just started reading this section, there was some pushback because the mention of servants in slavery is is very repugnant to most 21st century ears, and that's not surprising because American slavery uh, was a vile, racist, dehumanizing behavior in our country's history, and in fact, if you the last verse I read, it, uh, says it was. This was repugnant to God, too. Verse 16 that I read, Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. The foundation of American slavery was kidnapping people and putting them into slavery, which is reprehensible under the old covenant. And yet people in the name of Christ found reasons to justify the keeping of slaves in American history, and that is very ugly. But what I want you to know is the kind of slavery that's being described in Exodus 21 has has very little, if no, relation to what happened in our country. Because what's different about this kinds of of uh, slavery is it was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be measured, and it actually was a long term solution or long term improvement for the economically vulnerable. Let me remind you where, what's going on is as, as soon as uh, Israel uh, hears these laws. They are supposed to go into the promised land, to Israel. And in Israel, every uh, tribe and every clan and every family were to be apportioned land for economic prosperity. But what God foresees is that in that land, though people were given a leg up to start, they're going to lose their economic vitality. They're going to lose work. They're going to lose their land could be because of illness, it could be because of disaster, it could be because of bad choices or a poor work ethic. Now every ancient Near Eastern culture had these forms of slavery to help these people or to at least allow these people to survive when they were down on their luck. But God's rules were different because they're actually to protect them and ultimately send them forward in a better place. Let's look at some of the provisions. Now, notice that in verse 2, it says that when a Hebrew servant was bought, they were only allowed to be bought for six years and serve for six years and then to be set free in the seventh year. In fact, if you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15, they weren't just supposed to be set free. They were supposed to be set free and in a better economic position than when they started. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 15 verse 13. It says, when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you, and that is why I give you this command today. So it's this temporary arrangement for six years. The seventh year, they're supposed to be set free, and they're supposed to be given some resources to continue to stay out of debt, out of slavery. The, the, the two ideas I want you to think of when you're thinking about, about slavery in the ancient Near Eastern world is that when you were slaves, you were given two things. You were given a household and a hammer. Remember that, a household and a hammer. What I mean by that is when, if you uh, were alive in the ancient world and you did not have a household, you would not survive. They didn't have, there was no welfare system. There was no government to help you. The only people who could help you were people who were financially stable, relationally stable in a household. Similarly, no one was going to hand you money without working, and so they needed to give you work. Now, if you'd lost your land and your animal and everything else, then there would be no way for you to make a living. And so what happened when you were in a jam is someone said, Let's make a deal. For six years, for this price, you're going to have a household and you're going to have a hammer. And after some time, six years, you will be set free to survive on your own. This was to protect the economically vulnerable, not exploit them. Now, I want you to notice that there's a little bit of a difference between how men were treated and women. And when you first hear it, it seems very sexist. Verse 7 says, if a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. So it seems like, okay, a man only has to work six years, and then he's gone in the seventh. But a woman, she's a slave forever. Well, first off, that's actually not true. And and the key thing is to catch that in verse 7 it says, if a man sells his daughter, so this is a father, he is in such a horrific situation He takes his daughter, and what it says in the following verses is he he sets her up in an arranged marriage with someone who is economically viable, financially strong. That's why it says, if she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. To mean broken faith means he brought her in to be his wife and in a relationship with her. And if he's not going to do that, he's not going to treat her as a wife, he needs to let her go. It says too in verse 9, maybe he selects her for his son and he must grant her the rights of a daughter. When she's brought into the home, she's not brought in as a slave, but as a daughter, a full member of the household. And then it goes on in verses 10 and 11 and it says, if he were to marry another woman, he can't deprive her of marital rights. He can't treat her as a second-class person in the home. And if he doesn't provide for her, verse 11, he has to let her go totally free. Now again, we, don't, we push back and arrange marriages in the 21st century, but in the ancient world, very common. And when a father saw that his daughter was going to be in a very difficult place, he said, I need to attach her to a good household. And God gives these commands. For all of Israel that says. And when a father has to put his daughter. In the, in the hands of another man. In the household of a different family. She is to be protected. And she is to be cherished. As a wife. Or as a daughter. That's what God wants. And in fact. in the In Deuteronomy chapter 15. That section I read earlier. If the. If the woman is of age and it says she sells herself into slavery, then it's just the same way. She would work for six years and be released on the seventh. God wants to protect the economically vulnerable in among the people of Israel. That's what his desire was. Now, when, whenever you read laws like this, it's always tempting to, to do one of two things. One, to think like this is totally irrelevant. Why are we talking about these old laws? And the other one is like, to start petitioning you know, your state legislators to enact laws like this in our state, I think you have to be a little more careful than that. Certainly they have relevance. Maybe not to be codified in the Iowa State Code of Law. But let's think about some of these things. Particularly, um, maybe you're a manager or a boss. What does it look like for you to invest in your employees those people who might be lower on the ladder, how is it? How can you invest in them so that whether when they start with you and whether they leave in a year or five years or ten years, they are better off, they are more cared for. I and mean, that's actually one of the things I've always appreciated about Starbucks Coffee. At twenty hours a week, you get full benefits. At twenty hours a week, you can get money to uh, pay for college. I mean, this is just, a, just one company that says these part-time people have a future too. What, what does it work? What does it look like if you're just the manager? How do you invest in the people that are on your team, so that they're 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 better off from serving on your team than that you just exploit them and get them to work extra hours at maybe the expense of their future or their family? So too, there is some time to think about though when you go to vote, when you're selecting leaders. Are they the kind of leaders that will have economic policies and protections for the economically vulnerable? To see them not stay in poverty, so policies that encourage development, but also policies that make sure that they're not exploited. And I would also encourage you if you find yourself on the on the on the side of being the economically vulnerable, know that this provision it it, it encouraged people in that position. Get ready to work hard for six years to get out of debt. Work hard. Press on. Sometimes we have to say no to some of our wants for six years. We have to say no to some of the pleasures so that in the seventh year, there's a measure of freedom and autonomy that was lost, maybe because of poor choices or maybe because of um, no choice of ours at all. Either way, notice that God's community that he is building, when Yahweh is king, he wants neighbor love to be paramount. And one of the founding pillars of this neighbor love is that the economically vulnerable need to be protected. Let's move on. As he, Moses, speaking from the words of our God Yahweh, goes on to say that neighbor love also values every human life. Verses twelve through fourteen say this: Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if he is not, done, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Every human life matters. Every person is precious. And on the very front end of talking about the value of human life, it says if anyone uh, kills someone in a premeditated fashion, they their lives should be forfeit. And one of the things that's also unique about the, the Old Testament law in comparison to other ancient Near Eastern cultures is that there was equal protection under the law. It didn't matter if you were the king or the head of your tribe. If you killed someone with pre, in a premeditated fashion, your life was forfeited. In many ancient Near Eastern cultures, um, the highest powers could get away with murder. Or someone in a low economic class, they would like, steal something and they would be killed for stealing. But God tried to create an equal playing field. Regardless of class or race, capital punishment was the call for someone who takes take someone else's life. That was instituted all the way back uh, in Genesis, when after the flood it was just very clearly commanded by God that the value of human life is because they are made in God's image. And if an image bearer's life is intentionally taken, the other person's life is forfeit. But notice, too, though, there's provisions to say, but if it wasn't done in a premeditated fashion. People, the family can't just get out of vengeance, come and take their life. No, that person has a chance to get away to a safe place where you can have a, a fair trial because every life is precious. Even the person who may have brought the death of someone, they have a right to a fair trial to make sure that you find out what was driven by this action? And this is, you guys see how relevant this is, whether you're in the 21st century or the ancient culture? Every life has value, and therefore, when a life is taken, they need to be held to account. But when there's a question of motive, that needs to be judged carefully. There needs to be a rule of law. Uh, look, look, at, look at how the rule of law gets explained a little bit in verses 15 through 17. It says, anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. We already looked at verse 16, so verse 17 says, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Now this one comes kind of shockingly. Like in the verses 12 through 14, I think a lot of people can get their minds around a premeditative murder requires capital punishment. But now it's talking about a uh, mother or father being attacked or being cursed and their child should be put to death. Why is that? And this goes back, you know, a little bit to the, the fifth commandment honor your father and mother so that you will live long in the land. God knows that if a person can't respect the first authority put in their lives, their mother and their father, they will not be able to respect any authority in society. And so they had one of the the gravest punishment for not respecting the first authority in the home. Now this isn't referring to like you know uh, you know making fun of your dad once. This is not talking about you know one time you know standing up against your father. It's talking about when they look at a child and they see this persistent attack wanting to harm. They would believe that this child was a threat to society. I mean, a couple of you know, things just to think about. Again, we are not under a theocracy which Israel was. Israel was under the idea that there was this rule of God and therefore there's these laws placed like we're we're not in that anymore. We're in a democracy and uh, a republic, a democratic republic. Um, so I don't think we wanna we, we we wouldn't enact these kind of laws today. I do think we need to be very careful to not laugh at when a child is rebellious toward their parents. It's not funny. It's not a face. I would say similarly to people in my age and older who are beginning who care and express love for their parents who are older than them, that honoring needs to continue. We shouldn't abuse them, we shouldn't mistreat them, we should make sure they are well cared for in their older ages to make sure that they have our supports. When we don't have that kind of respect for authority with our parents, whether we're still in the home or we're out of the home, there's going to be unrest and civil, di- uh, all kinds of civil disobedience everywhere. And so God says, protect and cherish your parents. Honor the authority that's been placed over you. Look at verses 18 through 21. Um says, if people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside of the staff. However, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Notice that our livelihood, our our ability to work is extremely important. And if I do anything that would hurt someone's ability to work, I'm financially responsible. Verse 20 says, Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. So here's this picture. Corporal punishment on a lazy slave. They're saying was okay. But if there was any direct cause that brought them harm they would be the owner would be held to account jump down to verse 26 and 27 it says an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye and an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth they can't abuse their slaves <laughs> if there's any amount of abuse that slave goes free you know, it's in this context where you have eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's this idea that if they were to take their life, they would be held accountable by giving up of their life. Every life has dignity. Every life must be protected. Look also, verses 22 through 24. says, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, But there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This is one of the clearest pictures in the Bible that says uh, an unborn child has dignity and life of the same level of someone who is outside the womb. If there is a fight between two men, is the picture, and a woman is injured in the process, if the woman goes into premature labor and the baby is born and the baby is healthy, they still pay a fine to the woman because they caused that premature birth. There is the risk and the fear of what could have happened and there is compensation. It says, though, but if there is death of that baby there will be held an account to the person who caused that death. This is why since the earliest days of Christianity, Christians have cared for uh, mothers and babies. They've advocated against abortion at all levels. We oppose the doctors who take the lives of babies. We oppose the legislators who vote to allow babies to be opposed. We oppose the mothers who let their lives be taken, the people who put pressure on them, whether it's boyfriends or family all those at differing levels will carry some measure of guilt and responsibility for the taking of that child's life. You know, in our home, every, whether when it's the, your birthday or it's Mother's Day, we set out this little plate that says, you are special today. And then, you know, you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner on this special plate. Well, At some level, what has been baked into uh, Old Testament law is that every life is special today. Every life is special today. We don't mistreat someone based on their economic status. In fact, we try to make things better for them. We don't mistreat them based on their, their race or their country of origin. We treat them special today and try to seek their prosperity, to seek their growth. Because when Yahweh is king, neighbor love is paramount. And the paramount display of that love is Jesus Christ coming to lay down his life for us. We were enemies of God because of our sin and our selfishness. And Jesus came down to lay down his life for us. I guess I, I didn't attend any of the protests, but I read that the mantra across the country was, no justice, no peace. That is N-O, no justice, no peace. The, the the protesters, most of them very nonviolent, say that there can't be peace in our country if there isn't justice in the land. And I want to affirm what Jeff said earlier in the service There will never be justice in the land if it doesn't start with peace in our hearts. If we don't deal with our own selfishness and sin before a holy God, there is a restlessness in our souls. And and Satan will exploit every fear, every self-protection to cause all manner of harm to ourselves and others. And our only hope is to come to the one who died for us. And on the cross... He gave himself, his life up for his brothers and his sisters to make sure that they were forgiven and brought into a home. I mean, we were worse than economically vulnerable. And yet God, it says in scripture, Jesus became poor so that we might be made rich. Jesus gave up the inheritance of heaven on the cross so that we might have all the inheritance and the full rights of sons and daughters. He brings us into his home. But now in this home, in this family, when Yahweh is king, when Jesus is our king, We want to pursue peace and justice in the land. It starts here in our church family. We have to learn about giving peace and grace and forgiveness to one another. We've got to learn how to trust one another. But my prayer for us as a church family is that we take this out into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our communities, where we begin to live out neighbor love, It's always going to be costly. Love love is something that sounds really good in our dreams, but it's really hard to play out in our lives. It's very costly, it's very humbling, it's very hard. And we would never be able to do this apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. We were brought out of slavery. We are brought out of our sin. We were made new people. We have now been filled with the Holy Spirit to move forward and live new lives to the glory and the grace of God. Every life matters. Every single life. The economically vulnerable must be protected. And in all things, when Yahweh is king, neighbor love is paramount. Let me pray. Father, my prayer for us as individuals is first just to look at our own hearts and look at where uh, we don't have neighbor love, whether it's hatred or fear or lack of concern. I've seen all those things in my heart over these last several months, just sometimes just not being concerned about those who are sick and the virus, not, not as... Compassion about those who are fighting against it. And then again, now looking at some of the race tensions again in our country, I forget about what it must feel like to be a young black man in this country. I just don't care sometimes, and that's my own sin and selfishness. I pray for us as a church family that we would know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and then that love would come out of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.